This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we are going to be counting down our final top 10 lists of 2023. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, let's get into it. Um, I'm going to do my list very, very briefly at the very end of this conversation, but I want to do like the full deep dive with you. So before we get into your list, do you have any honorable mentions that like didn't quite make the cut for you? Uh, Yeah, I wanted to give a shout out uh, to a real indie movie called Linoleum uh, that played at South by Southwest last year and features uh, just a fantastic performance by comedian Jim Gaffigan in a dramatic role. It's a really uh, peculiar sort of movie. Uh, it kind of like messes with your mind a little bit because like strange things are happening throughout. The, the story focuses on this guy who uh, hosts his own like public access kids science educational show. Uh, and he, he used to want to be uh, an astronaut, but like it never worked out for him. And so all of a sudden his show kind of gets taken away from him because uh, PBS is interested in it, but they want to ask uh, a real astronaut to host the show instead. And funnily enough, this astronaut just happens to look like a little more polished, upstanding version of Jim Gaffigan because it's also played by Jim Gaffigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he he like kind of starts questioning everything about his life because his wife also wants a divorce. And uh, then he... Um, decides that after this piece of uh, uh, it's like a satellite falls in his backyard, he decides he's going to like use pieces of it to like build uh, a rocket. And so like uh, it's, it's a very, a very odd sort of movie. And as it unfolds, like uh, you're wondering exactly what's happening and you might feel like, like this isn't making sense. Like how do these things connect? Cause there's also like a part of the story that focuses on his daughter and uh the the astronaut's son who because they just moved into the same neighborhood and it all feels kind of strange but trust me when i say it comes together in the end uh in a very like um surprising and touching and in cool way and i just i I, it stuck with me all year and i really liked it a lot 
Excellent. I, I love the idea of shouting out a movie that like not a lot of people have really seen or heard of on lists like these. So that's a that's a great honorable mention. Um, anything else in that category you wanted to mention before we get into the real list? Uh, give a quick shout out to No One Will Save You. I talked about how much I love this movie, but uh, if you haven't watched it yet, it's on Hulu and it's just a fantastic uh, little piece of sci-fi horror. Uh, love the um, totally, you know, uh, pretty much no use of dialogue whatsoever, just relying on visuals and suspense and a fantastic score um and i will say that uh, i love this movie so much and it was a bummer that like it just didn't didn't quite make make the cut um but teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem uh what an animated gift this year what a great new iteration uh of ninja turtles and if you again if you haven't given it a chance yet just trust me when i say like you will not regret it because uh it is just phenomenally animated the kids are f- fantastic as the turtles, and it's just it's just a lot of fun, and it looks so cool. Nice. Okay, so let's kick it off, Brad. What is your number 10 movie of 2023? Uh, speaking of animation, my number 10 movie is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, I loved the, uh, the first Spider-Man movie in this franchise, uh, and the second one uh, really just delivered by upping the ante and taking the animation in like a whole new innovative and just beautiful direction. Uh, on top of that, it, you know, the story itself, it really takes on an Empire Strikes Back kind of vibe because it's, it gets bigger. Uh, you know, it takes miles in a surprising direction uh, and it ends on such a big cliffhanger that is pretty much, you know, worthy of the same kind of cliffhanger we got in, in Empire Strikes Back. Um I love the all the new Spider people that are introduced. Uh, you have Oscar Isaac as Spider Man twenty ninety nine, which is uh, a great character who basically kind of you know, acts as a, a villain for Miles. I, I especially just love how the unique animation style for each uni- uh, universe that different Spider Men inhabit just all look beautiful in their own way. They all bring the action to life in exciting ways, uh, and they add to the the emotion and everything, too. And, and on top of that, you have this just incredible score by Daniel Pemberton, uh, which is Oscar-worthy in its own right. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it would, it would be... I feel like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is one of those animated movies that, like, is just so good all around that it deserves to get, like, a Best Picture nomination alongside uh, everything else and not just relegated to the animated category but uh you know we'll, we'll see what happens awesome okay so your number nine my number nine is the holdovers alexander payne's uh holiday uh dramedy with paul giamatti playing a curmudgeonly high school professor uh who strikes up uh, a surprising friendship with a uh a sarcastic student who is left behind at school during the holidays uh, has a little bit of a troubled home situation. Um, and he, he acts out as, uh, he's not really like, you know, a jerk. He's just a little bit, you know, rebellious and rambunctious because of a situation. Uh, and they both kind of, you know, uh, learn, learn something from each other. And then, uh, the real standout here, aside from Paul Giamatti, you know, uh, being fantastic in the lead role, which is what you expect is, uh, divine joy Randolph, uh, as the, um, woman who runs the kitchen at the school. Uh, and she has this really heartbreaking, beautiful story and like her dynamic with these, these two and how they make this little, uh, kind of like unit and come, come together and become friends. Uh, it's just a really, really wonderful story that I, uh, I, I really like seeing this kind of movie come about and, uh, be such a well-rounded, uh, you know, piece of entertainment that, you know, it pulls at the heartstrings a little bit. It's extremely funny, uh, you know, has has a little something to say about, you know, just the uh, how we live our lives and just and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, just really, uh, really landed with me on, on a firm footing. Yes, a superb movie. I, I love this film as well. Very happy to see it find a place on your list. Um, okay, number eight. Number eight is The Iron Claw. 
Uh, this is Sean Durkin's movie about the famous Von Erich wrestling family. Uh, if you've never heard the story of this family, uh, it is absolutely tragic um, and will rip your heart out of your chest. Uh, and it is brought to life so powerfully, uh, largely thanks to an amazing lead performance by Zac Efron, who just like leaves it all in the ring. Uh, he like just totally transformed his body, first of all. Like he is he's more ripped than you've ever seen him so much that like his face looks thicker. And like, if you think that they did makeup on his face to make him look like that, they didn't, he just got so big that his face and neck literally got thicker and it ch changes <laughs> how he looks. And it's just wild. Um, you also have Holt McCallany, uh, who is fantastic as the Von Eric father, Harris Dickinson, uh, as one of the brothers, um, r really everybody in this movie, of course, even, uh, uh, Maura Tierney also gives a, an incredibly understated performance, uh, as the mother at, as she deals with like the pain that comes uh, through this family as they encounter just one tragedy after the next. Uh, Jeremy Allen White from the bear uh, um, is one of the, one of the brothers and everybody just get, gives their own fantastic performance. It's an outstanding ensemble. Uh, it's a movie that packs a really powerful punch. And honestly, I I've seen this twice too. And I think it hits even harder the second time because uh, if you, if you don't know the full story the first time around, it's very sad the first time you experience it. But then the second time you watch it, all the the happy moments that like the brothers share together and the moments of levity, they they feel more sad than they do happy because you know what's coming. Oh uh, yeah, and, and I didn't even think about that. And it yeah. makes it and it makes it so much worse. Oh, uh, so yeah, but yeah, lo love the Iron Claw. It is it is fantastic. Excellent. Okay, number seven. Number seven is Poor Things. Uh, the latest film from Yorgos Lanthimos uh, that has been landing Emma Stone all sorts of acclaim. Um, it is a basically a Barbie uh, meets Frankenstein kind of story with a, a beautiful steampunk-esque production design. Uh, Mark Ruffalo gives one of his most audacious and wild performances in this movie. He makes for such uh, an entertaining dastardly scumbag in this movie uh willem dafoe is, is delightfully strange as well uh but of course it's it's emma stone who just runs away with this movie uh the way she plays this character who uh you know has the basically the mind uh, of a child inside of a full-grown woman's body and then quickly uh evolves and comes to embrace her her sexuality and wanting to have this independence and travel the world and life and experience so many things uh just the way she plays it uh not only physically but but emotionally and uh her, her facial expression just everything about it there it's a very funny performance but it, it also is very uh calculated in in so many ways just the way that she expresses herself and uh because of how it's shot too like you have to remember like she has to keep track of how uh, her character Bella kind of evolves throughout this movie in little moments. So like there has to be periods where like she shows how she's growing and uh, keep keeping track of like where she's at and how she she's evolving and going from like feeling like she's, you know, a, a lost kid into, you know, being a, like a teenage woman or and then a grown woman. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, it's just a, it's a mesmerizing performance. You know, it's, it's easily one of her best. Um, and so, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of, you know, sharp, um, you know, satirical moments and, and commentary on uh, just like the, the lives that women lead and like the, the judgment that is cast upon them by, you know, men who, uh, you know, are feel like that they're so strong that they have to be in control of everything, but yet they're so weak that they can be so um, 
easily you know manipulated by a woman's you know basically rejection of them mm-hmm. uh and so yeah I, I absolutely love four things yeah man emma stone is like unreal in this movie I've, I've never seen her she's always been good i think like good solid to great even but like this was i felt like next level like her like leveling up as a performer in a pretty significant way so yeah absolutely um, i'm excited to see what she does next uh are, are you watching the curse by any chance i, I have not I ha- seen that i haven't yeah i decided to wait until it was all over and i i think it's it's did it just end or it's on the cusp of ending? Or? I think it's close to ending. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm going to wait and give that a chance once, uh, once it's over. Yeah. I'm probably going to do the same thing. She certainly deserves our attention. I think. Um, okay. Number six. Is that right? Yes. Number six uh, is Barbie and uh, Barbie. I actually just recently rewatched Barbie and it just reaffirmed how much I love this movie. Um, it is, it is so clever uh, in its comedy and so smart in its approach as to how it adapts such an iconic toy. Um, it, it has, the same kind of imagination and innovation that the Lego movie did. You know, no one ever thought the Lego movie was going to be anything but a, a quick cash grab and to sell some toys. But Phil Lord and Chris Miller delivered something that really took advantage of the uh, imagination that drives Lego. And they, they turned it into something just incredibly great as a story. And uh, Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach did the same thing with Barbie. And it has the added bonus of being even more meaningful because there, there are, two or three monologues in here um, just about like the, 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 the mere concept of existing uh, as a woman, America Ferreira as being, you know, the really one of the big standouts. Uh, and it just hits so hard. You know, I'm, I'm just a, a stupid guy and like, I'll, <laughs> I'll never know what it's like to experience any of that. But like you hear these things and it just, it, it make it, it makes so much sense. And it, you, you just feel bad for just, for just being a dude. <laughs> Um, but on top of that, it is incredibly funny. My gosh, Ryan Gosling is unbelievable in this movie. Like everything he does makes me laugh. Um, there, there's so many great moments in this movie. I, I still, every single time it's, it's a, it's a a little moment and uh, it's a quote that people have, have been saying, but like, I'm kind of in awe of just how much he like pathos he injects into it, but it's, it's the, the, the final battle on the beach and he screams, I'll see you on the Malibu beach. And he says it like, like it's like a Marlon Brando line, like from like in his prime. And it's just, it's amazing. Actually, his performance is so good. Um, but yeah, I, the Barbie is just, I, I, you know, if you're sitting out there and you feel like you're too cool for Barbie, like just, just grow up. <laughs> yeah. That one's streaming on max right now. If somehow you missed like the phenomenon movie of 2023, uh, definitely catch up with it because it's, it's like surprisingly deep and, um, and, and it's, it, it's not just like this sort of throwaway pop confection kind of thing that it might look like from the outside. So uh, great stuff there. Okay, let's take a break and then we'll come back and get into your top five, Brad. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Okay, number five. 
Number five is Air. Uh, this is the movie that uh, came out much earlier in the year. And I feel like people, um, critics, uh, and even the um, awards organizations are kind of pushing this one to the wayside and unjustly so, because I think that uh, Ben Affleck's movie here is fantastic. And the script especially is so well written um, and polished that it really just deserves more attention than it's been getting. Uh, this, of course, is, is the story about how Nike came to uh, become the, the owners of the Air Jordan shoe based on uh, Michael Jordan's rising star as a basketball player uh you have matt damon playing sonny vaccaro who is the guy who had the the vision enough to see the kind of player that jordan was going to become and pushed uh nike's owner phil knight to spend basically their entire marketing budget they would normally spread across several different players on just landing michael jordan who was not interested in nike whatsoever uh, this was a time when adidas was very popular uh mostly because of like the jumpsuits and the, the the cool white shoes with the three stripes that are still popular to this day um and so trying to get him was just this herculean task uh and the, the writing is just is just so good in this movie and one of the things that i appreciate so much about this movie is like it could be it's easy to be cynical and say oh it's just a movie about selling shoes uh but the fact that like they they focus in on like how Sonny like pitches it and like envisions, you know, Michael's future. And like, sure, like you're talking about selling shoes, but this is the, the kind of like cultural icon thing that has like elevated to something that means so much more for people. Like having, having an Air Jordan shoe, especially at the time when Michael Jordan was extremely popular, was this, this symbol of like connection where not only did you feel connected to Michael Jordan, but like it showed how much you love basketball and it was a cool thing for, for you to have. Um, but it, it, it meant something more. And I don't think that there are these days a lot of products that kind of have that resonance. And it seems silly to sound, to talk about things, you know, like shoes in, in that way. But that to me is like kind of the genius uh, of air is just like talking about this story. And especially when Matt Damon gives his monologue where he's, he's giving like his passionate impromptu pitch to Michael Jordan, that is like to me an all time great monologue because like you you feel and hang on every single word that Matt Damon is saying, um, and it's just yeah. So I I, have, I really love uh, this movie and I I wish that it was getting a little bit more love during award season and from critics because uh, I feel like there's there's a lot to love about this movie and I I wish it was kind of uh, more in the conversation. I feel like people are um, taking this movie for granted a little bit because Matt Damon and, and Ben Affleck have been around the block for so long and, and have been, you know, just like cultural staples in Hollywood for decades at this point. But like, I think you're you're right. Like Matt Damon's performance in particular is not something that like, you know, it's not, it's not an off the rack performance. Not anybody can do that. And he just has that um, that sort of like special thing that really uh, that really shines through, especially in that moment you're talking about. Great stuff there. Um, OK, number four, Brad. Number four, uh, this is a movie that really jumped up uh, that I saw late just very recently, but it, it totally knocked me on my ass. Uh, and that is uh, The Zone of Interest, the latest movie from Jonathan Glazer. Um, if you haven't heard, and this movie is, is only just starting to come out um, in like release in theaters. So you, uh, you might have only heard about it because of, you know, lists from critics and whatnot. Um, but this is a movie that focuses on uh, a family during World War II, uh, where the father is a Nazi officer, uh, and they live in a house that is situated right against the wall that surrounds the Auschwitz concentration camp, where uh, millions of Jews were put into gas chambers and burned and shot and kept prisoner. Um, and the movie is just incredibly 
haunting uh, because it portrays this this German family uh, in such a uh, a normal mundane way, just going about living their life, playing playing in the garden, uh, having the most you know normal husband wife conversations. Um, you know, as he walks around in his Nazi uniform, and uh, in the background, all throughout the movie, all you hear are the like the the, the muted muffled sounds of Jewish people screaming and random gunshots and shouting from, from other Nazis. Uh, and then of course there's the, the, the ominous glow, the fire of, you know, the, the, the ovens and the things burning as they are just killing endless Jewish people. Uh, and just that, that juxtaposition and like the, the dichotomy of those two things, it just like th- this movie, I think even, even more than other movies that have portrayed, the atrocity of the Holocaust really just like shines a light on the just the pure evil that's there because of how these people are just able to just like just go about a totally normal life. Like it's it's basically like if you if you put, you know, uh, a normal uh, sitcom and, and placed it next to the, the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it just just really threw me for a loop. It is so powerful uh just just what um jonathan glazier did by putting these two things together and yeah i was i was floored by it yeah me too certainly um okay number three number three is past lives uh this is popping up on a lot of people's lists uh and it was it was the same for me because it just uh it really hits so hard it's um the story of these two um two people who connected when they were uh kids and, you know, you can see that there's a little bit of a, a connection there. Uh, but, of course, uh, one of them ends up moving uh, to the United States with her family. Uh, she, she ends up being played by, by Greta Lee as an adult um, and then leaves uh, her, her friend behind. Um, and it's, it's such a moving story of, like, uh, unrequited love and romance, but not like in the way you might expect, because there's uh, there, this connection here that kind of keeps popping up for them because years later they reconnect, uh, you know, on the, on the internet, you know, um, during the time when, when Skype was so big. And so they, they rekindle this connection from across the globe. Uh, and it feels like, you know, there might be something special there, but then, you know, their lives take them uh, apart again. And it's an, you know, it's another, you know, decade or so passes before they're able to see each other again. And they have completely, different lives and so like it covers this this relationship um between Greta Lee and and TOU uh across 24 years um and anybody who's ever had in any sort of uh you know romantic relationship or you know uh longing for somebody like a a friend that turn into will will feel the pain that comes from from this movie um just in in the 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 longing silences and these uh loving glances and uh, it's especially, you know, heartbreaking because, you know, as you watch the movie play out, you realize, you know, this is not a relationship that ever truly comes together and you can't help, you know, just like the characters, you know, wonder what if, and we you know what, what, how life might've been, you know, if they actually uh, were able to, to create, you know, a, a life together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's just a beautiful movie. Yes. Gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. Uh, all right. Number two, number two. Uh, and I will say my, for my top two, I really had a tough time figuring out, uh, which was which for me, because these are two movies that I, uh, just loved for uh, a number of reasons. Um, and they probably won't come as come to any surprise because they're two movies that are being discussed, you know, uh, by all sorts of critics and, and lists and everything. My number two 
uh, is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Uh, it was very close to being number one as well, um, but uh, it, it ended up landing at number two. And I'll explain why when I talk about Killers of the Flower Moon. But uh, this is just a tremendous movie. And for, for a three-hour movie uh, that is you know, about the creation of the atomic bomb that has uh, a massive ensemble cast where it's so big, it's, it's hard to keep track you know, of, of the characters. It does such um, a stellar job of keeping you involved and making sure like you're paying attention to uh, all the, the important details. And that, that's largely because Killian Murphy just demands your attention every time he's, he's on screen. And so, and like the movie is called, called Oppenheimer and it is every bit about, you know, him as it really is about, you know, the, the creation of, of the atomic bomb and, uh, just the, the perspective that Christopher Nolan was able to bring, uh, to this movie to make it, uh, resonate and feel relevant because, and I think that's one of the, the, the great things about this movie too, is everyone's familiar with seeing, you know, old footage of, of the atomic bomb going off and knowing the devastation. But this movie really digs into like just the psychology of that, that, that feeling of like being responsible and, you know, knowing what that bomb can do and, uh, the, the actual, you know, impact it has, not just on the people that, you know, were, were, were killed by it and are ending the war, but, what it does to just the the concept of war and power, you know, in uh, across the globe, and uh, yeah, it's just um, on top of that, you have this great rivalry that exists uh, between Oppenheimer and Louis Strauss, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, and so the way Nolan just uh, tapped into this subject matter and made it so much more than just your average historical biopic uh, was was really just uh, a fantastic. Uh, experience. I think you used the word haunting earlier, and that's the the word I think that I probably most associate with uh, with Oppenheimer. It's just like the, the the crushing weight that is on Killian Murphy's character's shoulders. Um, sort of, yeah, and you the, feel it in his face. I mean, yeah, not only like the the weight of what he's done, and like especially the ending of the movie is just like so um, devastating in that way, but also like the weight of ambition in the first half. You know, like the, this this sense that he has of like. I have these ideas in my head. I have to get them out. Like I, I'm, I'm um, almost like compelled by the universe to, to sort of like create this thing. You know, it's like, yeah. he, he just like has it bursting right underneath the seams. It's great stuff. So, uh, okay. So you're number one then. Uh, my number one is Martin Scorsese's killers of the flower moon. Uh, I am a longtime Martin Scorsese fan. Um, pretty much any time he has a new movie, it w- will likely uh, end up on my my top ten list. Uh, and this one was was no exception, um, and perhaps you know e- even more so uh, earned just because uh, it's not exactly the kind of movie you would have expected Martin Scorsese to make. And that's because uh, I-, I respect so much the the foresight he had to change his approach uh, in the movie. And the same can be said for Leonardo DiCaprio, because this was a movie where originally it focused uh, on the the origins of the FBI and how they approached this case um, of, of indigenous people in, in Oklahoma being uh, killed, you know, over and over again, as white men attempted to uh, inherit the wealth that came from uh, their the, the Osage Nation. And instead, you know, they realized that the story actually um, is more powerful and, and resonates and represents uh, something much different if you focus on what happens, you know, within the Osage Nation and not investigating it, you know, as a crime from the perspective of the FBI. And so following Leonardo DiCaprio's character as he is kind of, uh, you know, 
enticed into like pulling off this scheme for Robert De Niro as William King Hale. Uh, and also seeing just like the, the fact that like there was, you know, genuine love between Ernest Burkhart um, and Molly played by Lily Gladstone, that it's, that, that makes the, the ultimate betrayal that's there that much more, more painful. And the way Scorsese taps into it on a, both on a, uh, an intimate level for those characters and also on a larger level for just the the plight of the people of the Osage Nation and the the heinousness of people like William King Hale because he's obviously not the only one who did things like this um it just it it, it really uh resonated with me and 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 hit hard and I don't I don't think we've really uh you know seen a lot of movies outside of traditional westerns that have approached you know this this kind of like betrayal and, and pain uh, of Native American people as this movie did. And um, I think that the end is really kind of like what solidified it for me because pulling back and having that kind of meta framing of doing a radio drama in the movie about this true story and Scorsese playing uh, the a character who basically is acknowledging that like he t- he's taking a story that isn't really his to tell and acknowledging like that, yes, this is entertainment and like, you know, sh- shining a light on himself and making himself part of the critical conversation, mm-hmm. being aware of that really just adds like another level of like Scorsese's uh, genius to me. And so, yeah. so yeah, I, um, this, that, that's why this ended up being my favorite just because I, I felt like it, it, it took Scorsese, like taking a step outside of himself as, as a filmmaker and a storyteller to tell this story in this way. And that's, that, that really is like what impressed me the most. Yeah, that's a phenomenal pick, Brad. And, um, you know, when I saw this movie the first time, I remember thinking that I I wish I had a little bit more insight into Ernest's uh, decision making and sort of like his real feelings about Lily Gladstone's character, because, you know, it it does seem like they have that, that real bond that you talked about, but also like how the hell can this guy do these things to this woman that he loves yeah, and like yeah. w- w- the, the cognitive dis- dissonance that is required for the actions in this movie to take place. Um, I remember feeling like I wish I had a little bit more insight, but like on further reflection, you know, months after seeing it, I kind of feel like, well, I, that was probably the, the point <laughs> of the, of the whole movie the, of, of what Scorsese is actually trying to do here. Yeah. And I just kind of like, uh, approached it through a little bit more of a simplistic lens than he was hoping that I would as a viewer. I think he, he's not giving you easy answers here. He's he's sort of presenting these things as, as they actually happened. And then just like asking you tough questions, like asking you to reckon with this stuff, because it's not just about this story. It's about the ripple effects from all of this and, and things like this that are still going on. You know, it's just like a, a really, really um, ambitious, powerful piece of storytelling. So yeah, uh, great stuff. Okay. So I'm going to run through my top 10. This is not the same list that I submitted for slash films, collective top 15 movies of the year. But for this list, I tried to factor in a lot of the choices that the slash film daily contributors have made, uh, in, in episodes like this. And I even changed a couple things on the fly as you were talking, Brad. Um, and I tried to pick some things that may not have appeared on a ton of other lists that we've talked about at slash film, but, um, there were a few, a few repeats that I just felt like were undeniable that had to be on this list. So uh, number 10 is The Killer, David Fincher firing on all cylinders with just an ice cold Michael Fassbender performance. Excellent stuff there. Uh, number nine is a movie called Rye Lane, which I don't. Uh, did you ever see Rye Lane, Brad? 
I did it, and it's it is one of those great you know kind of romantic comedies that you love to find at Sundance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely delightful British, very very British romantic comedy. It just left me with a smile on my face for pretty much the entire runtime. That's streaming on Hulu right now, and um, if no, you know, I, I basically put it here as a way to sort of advertise its existence because I think a lot of movies like that uh, get picked up from a festival and then just end up kind of getting dumped on streaming services and, and kind of disappeared. And I feel like this movie deserves uh, more eyes on it. So uh, it's called Rye Lane. And then Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret is my number eight. Um, just an outstanding coming of age story with a wonderful Rachel McAdams performance. Um, I think you and I talked about that earlier in the year when we saw it, Brad. You, you were yeah. fond of that movie too, right? Yeah, that and that one was one that was like uh, in the running for almost making my list. It probably would have ended up in like my top fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the wonderful story of Henry Sugar is my number seven. It's my favorite thing that both Benedict Cumberbatch and Wes Anderson have made in many years. Um, just a really, really, really uh, sort of energetic, playful, uh, creative um, riff on the the Roald Dahl uh, story, which I, I found fantastic. That's on Netflix. Uh, my number six is a movie called Sanctuary. Did you ever see this one? It's a pretty small movie. I did not. It's a terrific cat and mouse story that stars Christopher Abbott and Margaret Quile, uh, Margaret Qualley. Um, Neon put it out uh, at the end of the year. Or actually, I guess it was earlier in the year. And then they they sort of sent it back out with that big like package that they send to to critics sometimes. Uh, but this one I feel like is just like criminally under under discussed because the performances are are terrific, but the writing and the production design is really um, what sort of has my attention. It's it's so like twisty and unexpected and um it's a really great example of what you can do with like not a huge budget but just like really compelling performers so i would encourage people to check that out i believe that's also streaming on hulu it's called sanctuary uh number five the zone of interest one of the most gut-wrenching and just incisive movies of the year had to put it on there uh number four all of us strangers i've talked about this before just a really beautiful movie with fantastic performances and a, a captivating uh, premise um andrew scott is just yeah, outstanding in this. Uh, number three is The Taste of Things, which is one of the best movies about food that I've ever seen. I believe it's getting a, a wider release in February, like Valentine's Day-ish. So definitely put that one on your uh, radars if you care about movies, especially if you care about movies about food. Um, just a, a terrific love story that also is just like, yeah, so much like gorgeous food porn kind of stuff in there. Uh, number two is Anatomy of a Fall. Did you see... That movie, Brad. Did we talk about that at all? Yes, and yeah, I, I that, that was one that I I watched uh, late in the year, and it was. Um, I'm not sure if it would have if it came close to like being in my top ten, but like I I definitely appreciated like the the story that was being told there. Yeah, it's, I think it might be like the most complex movie that I saw that last year. I think it just it has so many swirling elements sort of crashing together in just super entertaining ways. Um, even though the subject matter is not like. It's, it's about a potential murder. So um, it, it's not like uh, a laugh riot or anything, but just like the the performances, especially from Sandra Huller, um, just out of this world, great stuff. Uh, all right. And my number one is Past Lives. Um, just a gorgeous story about the paths not taken in life. And it left me a total mess. So I know that was on your list as well. But um, again, that one was kind of like undeniable for me. It was like, 
I was blubbering on my couch when I finally caught up with it late in the year. Uh, and it's, yeah, uh, I can't wait to see what Celine song does next because I'm, I'm just still baffled that this is her feature directorial debut. Um, just a <laughs> fantastic movie. So uh, I would say 2023 is a great year for movies. Wouldn't you, Brad? Yeah, absolutely. I, there's a lot of stuff that I really loved and, you know, it was just as difficult to try and uh, figure out which movies were going to make my list, you know, as, as it is uh, any year. But I think this year, uh, you know, I had a, a really tough time just like trying, trying to situate, you know, the order of my top 10 because there were so many movies that like I just outright totally loved for a variety of reasons and trying to like, you know, figure out, you know, which one you know should be ranked higher. Uh, at, at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of, you know, meaningless anyway, just because, you know, it's yeah. I, I want to tell you just to watch these movies and it doesn't matter if I'm saying, you know, one really is better than the other. But uh, yeah, it was it was very difficult to try and rank them. I was wondering if Please Don't Destroy the Treasure of Foggy Mountain was going to pop up on your list. Um, yeah, you know, and that's the thing is too, is like, it's it's always tough to like rank comedies against these movies that like resonate in different ways, uh, you know, I, I, but like, um, that that is a comedy that I did I did love so much that it's it, it made my short list. And like, as I was whittling it down, I was like, oh, man, you know, it's really tough. Um, but and especially since, you know, I had stuff like Ninja Turtles and, and Barbie make it up there, which are, are also comedies, you know, in their their own right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's and, and honestly, it's just it's just tough because there aren't a lot of studios obviously aren't making a lot of comedies uh, anymore. And it's really hard for any of them to kind of like uh, stand up, you know, to, to some of these other movies that combine so many different different elements. Uh, yeah. And they're just doing so different like they're operating on such different wavelengths. Their like, their missions are so different and like they, they both accomplish them, but, but like, yeah, it, it's just, uh, it, it's tough. It's, it's, yeah, yeah it, I had it on my short list as well. And I was just like, I can't do it. Like there's so many other movies that I guess just like, I don't know. They feel like they mean more to me, even though I had a blast watching, uh, please don't destroy and just was like cracking up the whole time. Yeah. And that, that's like an enjoyable experience that I had. And I want other people to have that as well. But like, I don't know. There's something about when it comes to the end of the year, I just find it tougher to, to value that experience more than, you know, some of the other experiences and some of the other emotions, I guess, that I felt watching the other stuff that we talked about. So, yeah. And to uh, the credit of, you know, of movies like Barbie and, and Ninja Turtles, like those movies are every bit as funny as like uh, comedies that go out of their way to like actively try to be funny, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so th yeah, those, those are movies too that like they, they accomplish a lot by doing so much more than just existing as, you know, pure comedies. 100%. Uh, okay, well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. That's going to do it for our our long uh, top 10 countdowns. So thank you all for sticking with us through that. I, I appreciate uh, the listeners like, you know, giving us space to talk about these movies. And hopefully we're able to put a bunch of stuff on people's radars and, and give people a bunch of great movies to watch because there are some terrific things that came out in 2023. Uh, you can find more about all the movies that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. I would love it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really does help us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.